gentlemen and otherwise, I would like to welcome you to How Not to Start a Damn Brewery, the podcast. I am your host, Kelly KFM Meyer, and I consider myself lucky that any of you are even here. In January 2020, I began writing a book outlining all the gory mistakes that I had made since my wife and I founded our brewery eight years earlier. The second edition of that book is at 57,000 words and available on Amazon, both in Kindle and paperback formats. Please check it out, pick it up, read it, and share it with a friend. The show is the same name as that book simply because my goal here is to help my guests to experience the same catharsis I did after laying my story out in public, and because I know that the lessons I wrote about were only the tip of an enormous iceberg. If you like the show, please remember to subscribe, like, write a review, share with a friend. Trust me, it all really helps. In this podcast, I will interview people in and around the beer business to uncover the mistakes, the pitfalls, and the hardships that all of us poor souls in the brewing industry have had the misfortune to experience. My guests will autopsy dead and dying breweries, break down the science of brewing, and dissect the art of marketing. I'll talk to distributors, retailers, beer writers, even a fan or two. Hell, I'll shove a mic in front of anyone I think can make you better in your business. This is open and honest conversation packed with emotion and sincerity, and hopefully, a little bit of fucking vulgarity. I want to thank you for joining my guests and I on this journey, and I truly hope together that we are able to teach you and your loved ones how not to start a damn brewery. Our guest today is Kurt Weber from the Solid Rock Brewing Company. He co-founded his brewery just before the craft beer scene in Texas really started to take off. They had enough early success that any of us startups back in the early 2010s would be lying if we said we weren't measuring our potential at least a little bit by what they had accomplished. And like many of us, their plan was to learn as they went, and for a while it looked like they were going to keep growing. But navigating the distribution business, maintaining a positive cash flow, and getting attention as new breweries flooded the market proved an overwhelming feat. And after six years, Solid Rock closed its doors. So Kurt asked if we could do the interview on his boat on Lake Travis. And so I brought some Texas whiskey, he brought cigars, Irish whiskey, and some really, really great conversation. Lake Travis brought the wind, the passing boats, and the giggling paddleboarding girls. And while I could have edited them all out, I decided to leave them in so you could experience the conversation at least somewhat like I did. When we wrap at the end, I'll remind you that Kurt has agreed to record a follow-up episode with questions submitted by you. Please feel free to send them to me on social media, email, or hell, if you have my mobile, just give me a call. So it'll become obvious very quickly how much fun we had recording this episode, and I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. So thanks for coming. Thanks for sharing. And of course, most of all, thanks for giving a bunch of fucks about all of our guests and their brewing careers. Right. Uh, today, I'm sitting here with Kurt Weber, one of the co-founders of Solid Rock Brewing Company out of Spicewood, which is a fancy name for West Austin. Um, <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time to come out with us today, Kurt. Very welcome. Thank you for having me. So I would like to make sure that you understand that, that I don't know that we have a format, but if we did, we're breaking it. I am actually sitting here recording on Kurt's boat on Lake Travis with cigars and Irish whiskey. So typically, if you've noticed, I, I try not to uh, drink too much on these podcasts, and that's probably not going to make it through today. So <laughs> if towards the end I get a little uh, cursy and a little mouthy, um, or a little more so than I started, just be aware it's the whiskey talking. And I uh, appreciate you sticking with us that long as it is. So, Kurt. Or is yours. Tell me about the brewery. Um, when did you found it? And I know you had some partners. Talk about like who you founded it with and just give us a little bit of history of Solid Rock from the beginning. So, it started, my father-in-law lived here in Lakeway and I came down to visit uh, in 1999. And uh, I was stationed up in Indianapolis, Indiana. I lived, again, it seemed to be my lot in life. I lived across from a brewery called uh, Oak and Barrel. 
Oak and, and Barrel. Oak and Barrel, and uh, they were they were right in Greenwood, Indiana. And I had a um, a restaurant called Shallows Antique Restaurant. They had a thing called the Shallows Five Hundred, being in, in Indianapolis. <laughs> so they had five hundred different beers that you could drink, and then if you did around the world, because they carried typical you know beers from everywhere, they would put your name on a plaque and you know stick it up on the wall. But a quick so, question: So in Texas, there's a rule. There's a couple guys that do that, and there's only like three a day you can have or whatever. Did they have such a rule in this uh, 500 place in Indiana that you could only have a certain amount per day? If there was a rule, it was not adhered to by any <laughs> means. <laughs> I could probably, I can probably only count on one hand how many times I actually remember walking out of there. Yeah. <laughs> but, Which is sort of the point, right? You yeah. want to try different things and explore it. Oh, but man. in Texas, now there's a few guys that have done it. And I know that uh, I think it's three is the max you can have per day. You can drink all you want, but you can only claim three. I get you. So that way they're not encouraging alcoholic consumption, therefore calling down the wrath of the TABC and all their minions. Oh, man. So... We, uh, I came down here to visit and we ended up over at a floating restaurant over in the neighborhood that I live in now over in Point Venture. And I think back then it was called Shades. And I said, you know, what do you got local? And he's like, well, we got Shiner. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, in Indiana, we didn't get Shiner. Right. So that was new and right? different. So that was something new and different. So I tried the Shiner Bach and I think at that time they had Shiner Light is, is what it, the other one was. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I was like, all right, you know, what else? Nothing. So we ended up making the move down here in 07, and I met up with some guys, and I uh, it was at church, of all places. That you met the people, mm-hmm. and it was a it was a guy we 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 went to church together. He pretty much hated his job in the software world or the or the high tech world. I'll say, you know, we started talking, and I was like, yeah, I can't believe there's no freaking beer down here, man. You know, it's like so. He said, man, we ought to start a distillery. I'm like, you realize that takes like seven years before we're ever going to see any product, right? And and then you find out if it's good. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So I said, what about a brewery, man? I've brewed beer in the past. You know, I'm a, I'm a home brewer. You know, I brewed out in Seattle or out in Washington State. And then I had also brewed in Indiana. I said, what about a brewery, man? Turnaround time's quick, right? We can, we can start reaping our rewards rather quickly. And so, yeah, his name is Steve and we nicknamed him Beaker. Because there, we brought another Steve into the into the mix. <laughs> too many right? Steves. So too, too many Steves, right? So it was two Steves, and we ended up calling him Beaker. We ended up deciding on beer. We threw around some different names, and one of my favorite names that the other Steve had come up with, or we were on our way to something, an event or something, and he, it was a comedy skit called The Death Star Cantina. And I can't remember the comedian who did it, but it was freaking hilarious, right? And it was Darth Vader inside the lunchroom on the Death Star. We, you know, we started talking about it. We're like, man, we got to call this like the Death Star Cantina Brewery or something like that or Death Star Brewing Company or something. And uh, it's not a good idea. You know, we'll be sued within five seconds of even <laughs> thinking it, right? Threw it around a little bit. The church had a group called uh, Solid Rock Student Ministry. We adopted the name Solid Rock. You decided the church couldn't sue you, so you weren't worried about them? Oh, <laughs> uh, man, I know, right? It's, it's certainly not quite as quick as uh, George Lucas would have, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so Solid Rock, it was. It was kind of interesting, you know. Um, we just kind of modeled a lot of our stuff kind of behind that same idea, why we founded the brewery. What do you mean? So, you know, the beers. And I will tell you that I'll start off by saying I was the biggest violator of everything that from the from probably as a as a what would be considered a good Christian should be, right? So, I mean, 
yeah. I was, Wait, who makes that definition? Dude, I'm a horrible person. I just, wow. <laughs> but anyway, it was like. So well, I'm, a, I'm of a mind that if God made you and God made you horrible, then he wanted you that way. So. Right. Yeah. There you go. Uh, so, you know, our beers, uh, you know, when we built, when we bought the property uh, where Solid Rock stood, you know, people would come out and they go, oh, man, dude, I see why you call this place Solid Rock, right? Because the brewery was literally like on a chunk yeah, on of bed rock, rock, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, and we're like, oh, okay, you know, do you really? You know, the first beer that we uh, launched name-wise, uh, we called Cornerstone. And then kind of some of the other beers kind of went after that same, you know, our Trinity Vanilla Milk Stout, right, was, you know, the, the Trinity. Some interesting ideas like that, you know, that we had. Man, did you guys use the brewery as a ministering opportunity? My partners may have, but I sure didn't. I mean, other than <laughs> ministering of how much, how much alcohol you should probably not consume. Yeah. So I was, I, was, I was definitely good at going against. I was like the living example of what you should not do, what the Bible speaks against, right? Don't be a, you know, don't be a drunkard. Oh, okay. That wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> I was the drunkard. So, yeah. You picked the right career for it, at least. So. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, all my Navy buddies were like, when they found out I, I had gone in and opened a brewery, all of them that really knew me well were like, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> <laughs> we saw this coming. Yeah. yeah. So, what was the, the structure like? You, you had uh, partners? Mm-hmm. Was it just the other two? So, no. So, we did it, and our our plan was to go after an SBA loan, and we figured the easiest way to get in on that side of it was to utilize our better halves, which was our wives. And we uh, figured, you know, I, I'm, I'm a disabled vet. We somehow managed to con our wives. I'm, I'm, I, I'll, say, I'll speak from my side. I managed to con my wife into thinking this was a great idea. Uh, so we went after an SBA loan in addition to, you know, pouring in our own cash for, you know, whatever we had obviously saved up over the over the years and stuff. Yeah. So in SBA bit and we were able brought in a handful of investors, but we made everybody equal partners, which was a huge mistake. Oh, meaning if you were an investor, everybody split it equally? No, just even from the three couples. Okay, so everybody had thirty-three and a half percent, or everybody, whatever. Yep, everybody was was, was equal. Nobody, nobody had a a true, I guess, what you know, a higher majority stake in the in the game. So you just needed to convince one other couple to go with you, and then whatever you can make all the decisions in the company that you wanted. Yeah, and we actually, I think, if I remember right, we actually wrote the everything, our legal documents and stuff, to where I don't even think we went that way. I think on one side, so we were, we were, we were two things. We were, we were McJW LLC. That was the organiz- the LLC business that owned the property, okay. and so we owned that because we bought the property. Yeah, kind of um, holdings company that had that and yep. then leased it to the yep. brewery side. And then we leased it to Solid Rock Brewing. Uh, and it was actually Rock of Ales is what it was <laughs> called. It was called Rock of Ales doing business as Solid Rock Brewing. So, uh, And that's how it was originally uh, established. But between the two, between McJW and between uh, Rock of Ales, I think we had four of six on one and then we did five of six on the other. Voting majority, mm-hmm. really. So it was, and honestly, I don't, I don't remember why we did that, but uh, it was something that you know, one of, I think our, our attorney or something had you know advised us that that was the way to go. Yeah, to be able to give you the ability to make decisions, but make them slower in certain situations. Yeah. Well, so my wife uh, would be angry with me, so I would be remiss if I did not ask you to back up a little bit and describe that conversation in which you roped your poor wife. 
becoming a brewery owner. Because my wife is going to also describe how I did that to her, and I'm terrified to have that interview. So, how'd you convince your wife to go into business as a brewery? I won't say that I actually was the was the convincing factor. I think it was my partners. She knew, and rightly so, <laughs> she knew <laughs> that I was incapable of doing it on my own. <laughs> so, so, my partners uh, brought a lot of things to the table that obviously I didn't have, right? Uh, I mean, I, I brewed beer. Okay, great. And I was a mechanic, right? So, perfect, right? I can fix whatever's broken or I can Which help. is an important skill set in brewery operations yeah, for sure. Yeah, So, but I, I you know, I... I didn't know anything about distribution or sales and stuff like that. You know, I'll fucking talk your ear off. That's great. And, I, you know, everybody always told me, they're like, oh, yeah, man, you could sell an ice cube doing Eskimo. Okay, perfect. I'd never proven that in any way, shape, or form, right? So, well, I'm sure we'll get to it, but you weren't going to have to, though, because you were signing with distributors, so they would do 100% of all of that side of it. What, wait, what's the, what's the, I don't understand the face. So, the, yeah, the face. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, that wasn't really the original plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the original plan started off in the world of self-distribution. Oh, right? yeah. So, we, we had gone around and, you know, we were talking. I didn't grow up in Texas. I didn't work in the beer world or alcohol world of te- in Texas and stuff. But we had talked to enough people. Uh, over the time frame of putting this thing together, which was, you know, it was quite a quite a while. Um, I think we started talking about it in like 2010 uh, is when we originally started started, you know, talking about it. And uh, it was kind of a pipe dream right at that point. But then it, the more we talked about it, the more, oh, man, this kind of sounds like a great idea because yeah. of, of the, what was in the market. Not much. Hardly anything. Right. Yeah, exactly. We started off with the plan to go self-distribution. And we were going to do that for, I think it was a, a prob- at least a year, if not three. And then at that point, then we would, and one of my partners had worked for a distributor for a long time. And when I say a long time, I'm talking like since his days at UT. Oh, really? Right. So, yeah. He'd been so he'd seen the inside of a distributor. And yeah. he was still working for a distributor at the time <laughs> when, when when we approached him about it. Hence the reason if you ever look back at any of our pictures, he's always blurred out. Oh, because you, you can't, can't, be, you can't be in any right? right? Yeah, you can't be in any of those uh, uh, two of the three tiers, right? So, you might see a picture of his wife, but you would never see a picture of him, right? So, it wasn't until, you know, he made the break. People actually, you know, from the outside world that weren't part of it that got to see who it was. So with him having, I want to say, 30 plus years of working for the same distributor, he, he had put the plan together and that was kind of where we were at. So, yeah, we we went so we were starting off self-distribution and then uh, had, a, had a plan to ramp up to distribution, signing with a distributor and, uh, you know, tackle the tackle the world from there. So the size of brewery that you guys picked initially was what thirty barrels, am I right? Yeah, we did. We did a thirty barrel Marks uh, design and metalwork system, uh, two vessel. We had four fermenters. We had a sixty cold. We had a sixty hot. We had two thirties, two sixties, and a sixty bright. And that was what we decided on. And that actually took a lot of discussion, right? Because the thing we were trying to figure out was: do we do small? Or do we go for the, you know, for obviously the the Austin market and then the state market and then the national market afterwards with obviously zero, uh, you know, idea of what was coming down the pike, 
right, right is is to you know everybody and their brother opening a brewery. So, well, do you have any idea at the time how many Texas breweries do you remember when when you looked? I want to say I could. I, I, I want to say there was somewhere maybe around ten. So like two years later, I think we were having that same discussion, or maybe a year later. And there, I don't. I remember there being less than fifty or something like that. But even then, it was just like, oh yeah, there's barely any. You know, as far as even just take every MSA, they get three, and then the inter, there just weren't enough. Yep. Um, and now there's close to four hundred, which is oh shit, significant. Man, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, apparently I've been out of the game for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> Yeah, I miss it, but I don't. So, I think that a a lot of our listeners are are having that same conversation. And and I know for a lot of people that I talk to, that seems to be one of the areas that you have the biggest just unknown for. What size you're going to need and and how you're going to be able to make that work. And obviously, we'll get to what happened later. But do you feel like 30 was too big at that point? No, and I I don't, actually. Um, We were the first... 30 barrel system that Mark's uh, had built, which was kind of funny because Melinda sent me a picture like, I don't know, it, it was a little while later, and they did a like a 180 whirlpool for Ballast Point, and she goes, look what we've grown to, and I was like, holy shit, man, that's fucking huge. You know, this thing's hanging off the sides of a freaking, you know, a low boy semi. That's and a big it, ass system. Man, I'm telling you, I got to see it firsthand out at Ballast Point with the guys. And uh, yeah, so I we designed the system to be able to do a small batch. And that was part of the, you know, like on the, on the boil kettle whirlpool was putting a three zone steam jacket system in, right? Was we would be able to, you didn't, you didn't waste more steam than you needed. Right. right? It, it, hence, the, you know, we were on propane. You're not, you know, your costs are down or you're keeping your costs down, uh, stuff like that. Those are kind of some of the ideas. The brew house was, or the, you know, the mash lauder ton was designed to do a 10 barrel batch or a 15 barrel batch pretty efficiently. And so that was kind of why we went that way with anticipation, obviously, of being able to ramp up to knock out, uh, you know, a, a double batch in a day, which we did and actually was pretty easy to do a, to do a double batch. We would, you know, we'd, we'd be done by six o'clock, you know, to make it, 60 barrels. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so Mark's did a great job, obviously working with us. Um, they were, they were hungry. Obviously we were, and we had talked to a bunch of, a bunch of different uh, manufacturers at the time, you know, and so that was that was kind of how we designed that or how we decided on that 30 barrel. We had tossed around the idea of being, you know, kind of the, the small brew pub style brewery, your neighborhood brewery, right? Because back in the day, everybody, you know, all the, all the towns just had neighborhood breweries, mm-hmm. right? So when you look back at, you know, like pre-prohibition time frame, if I'm, if I'm right, shit, there were thousands of breweries. Around the around the country, and the population obviously was not an nth of where we're at today. But every little town had a brewery. I don't think we you hit know. that pre-prohibition level of breweries until maybe twenty eighteen, something like that. Yeah, right. It, I mean, it, it it took a while for everything to come back. You know, that was kind of the idea was we would just be your your local little neighborhood brew pub that you just come and hang out at. And obviously, we chose you know the bigger system. So. So when you guys were talking, obviously the the end game was to make money, but beer was also a passion. So did you guys have these illusions that you know, we were all going to be billionaires or was it also more of like a lifestyle business that I want to be a brewer for a job and I want to be the owner of a brewery? Um, and, and it's hard to remember. I'm just curious if you remember that. 
Uh, for me, it was a lifestyle. I mean, my dream was obviously to make enough money to contribute, uh, you know, to, to my family. I don't think I had, eh, maybe I did, eh, you know, the visions of grandeur, right? That, you know, you were seeing like, you know, the brewery I mentioned on, on the opening questions, Red Hook. Red Hook got bought right by into the Anheuser-Busch world. Right. And sold for a pile of money. At the same time, there was another brewery that was, you know, all these breweries were going public. Right. They had stock and being successful doing it. And they were Um, being successful doing it. Right. Yeah. So that. Yeah. I mean, there there was part of that there. Um, I love beer, man. And I (laughs) and and let me let me say I, I don't I try not to use the word love like just haphazardly. I love my wife and I love my kids. Right. I, I like my boat. I like where I live. If my house burnt down today, I really fucking wouldn't care. Right? It's a house. I've lost all that shit in the past back after 9-11 when I worked in the airline industry, right? Yeah. So, it, it, you know, that. Uh, so I, I learned to use that word a little bit differently than what I... So I love beer. I fucking love beer, man. I mean, and to be a part of that game, that lifestyle, to me, was like a dream come true. I mean, yeah. it was just huge, right? So, yeah, I I, um, I came at it from both sides, probably more so on the lifestyle side than, than the money-making side. I can't speak for my partners. You know, I'm sure that everybody had a dream of getting bought out, you know, and as, as we later uh, saw, you know, the Carbach buyout, mm-hmm. you know, that was it was like, holy shit, I guess, you know, this, this is a potential reality, right? So, yeah, maybe even, that... Even a lot of the breweries I talked to that didn't want to be bought out, I think they wanted to be rich enough to say no. So, like, at some point, we all thought that we were going to be successful and, and do well, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And we'd actually talked about that. It was something that, you know, if if we were approached, where what was that magic number, right? Where was your real pain threshold at? You know, you know, was it? Well, Ballast Point got a billion, so somewhere around there, right? I like, couldn't believe that <laughs> shit, man. That fucking blew me away. I was like, when that sold, I was like, oh, my God. And the, the cigars, actually, that we're smoking right now, Yeah. Uh, the, the guy who started this company was very good friends with the owners of Ballast Point. Really? So, when he approached us, that was in the middle of, I, th- I think it was right in the middle of them getting bought. Yeah, we and all I, heard all these amazing stories. Oh, my God. Just right? didn't materialize. Yeah, right? I was like, you know, but, you know, he starts planting these little seeds like, oh, yeah, this is what these guys are, you know, what's happening with these guys. And we're like... Holy shit, you know, that's a, that may be a potential reality, you know? Yeah. But, but I don't know, man. I can't even, my, my little pea brain doesn't even wrap its head around a, a number like a billion. <laughs> I would be, I, I would have been, I would have been happy with probably like, you know, tenfold on my, on my, on my investment or something, you know? Yeah, just a big cash return. Yeah. You said that you, you love beer, and I would agree that uh, I had the same relationship, but I think that. Uh, my relationship got a little bit strained when I found out that beer didn't love me back the same way I loved it. Oh, so man, the man. business side has affected a little bit, unfortunately for me. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to one day being able to get that back. But yeah. I, I definitely have some anger issues towards beer in, in most cases. And rightly so, man. Rightly yeah. so. But so I want to get into a lot of the kind of the concept of how you picked the beers you were going to brew and, and labeling and the naming and all that kind of stuff. But I've got a severe problem. I, I did tell our audience that I was going to be drinking, and I've got an empty glass. So yeah, let's take a baby. quick break. Um, and when we come back, I'll have some more uh, whiskey. I guess it won't be bourbon at this point in my glass, and we'll get into some more stuff. Right on. See you guys in a minute. So, hey, where are you kids buying your grains? You know, back in the day, we only had two options, and each of them knew it. 
When there isn't any competition, things like customer service and aggressive pricing just don't make a bit of sense to the big guys' bottom lines. But Brewery Direct has given lots of fucks about their customers since the day they sold their first bag of grain back in 2016. They sourced grains for quality and grains for price. And as an extension of Johnson Brothers Bakery Supply, their access to unique ingredients and brewing adjuncts is simply unparalleled. And now, with warehouses from Washington to New Jersey, you've got no excuse for an overpriced or unimaginative grain bill. You can't make great beer from any old bullshit, and Brewery Direct knows that. They have great prices on great grains and offer great service to great breweries of all sizes. Oh, did I mention the free shipping? Check them out at BreweryDirect.com or just type Brewery Direct into all of those social medias you seem to like so damn much. All right, so welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. I do now have a full glass of whiskey, and I am pleased to announce that it is Andalusia's uh, Madeira barrel-aged uh, pot still whiskey, which I really enjoy. That, coupled with the cigar, coupled with the company, coupled with the lake. I don't know where the fuck else I'd rather be today. I'm with you, man. I'm with you 100%. All right, well, let's get back to work. So what I want to ask you about is literally just sort of the nuts and bolts. Like, what did you guys brew? Why did you brew it? You know, how did you pick the packaging? And I know there's that's a that's a big range. So let's start with kind of how you picked what you were going to make. I think you had what, four or five beers by mm-hmm. the end. Yep, yep, we had a few, but but we didn't we didn't venture out like everybody. Uh, you didn't put fucking lactose in it. Oh man, <laughs> I, I will tell you, it, it, we we did a vanilla milk stout. That was a seasonal for us. So we had two kind of off, what I'll call off-color beers, right? But everything else. So where we were located at in Spicewood was not Austin, right? right. It's where it's where all the old hippies went. You're west of Weird? We are. We were just, just outside of Weird is what we called it, just outside of Weird. Because I think Dripping Springs adopted the... Just west of weird, did they? So we I were, thought I made that up. But no, no, I, I, I think they. Were, <laughs> so we call ourselves. I think we we said just just outside of weird, which I found out later on was really wrong. It, it's just as fucking weird in its own way. <laughs> Lake, its own, Lake trash is a whole other weird. Oh yeah, man, yeah. And it was a lot of uh, you know we were we built the brewery, or I shouldn't say built it, but we bought the property. Just shit, I don't even know if we were a mile away from Luck from Willie Nelson's place. Really, my two partners were musicians. Or, or I shouldn't say were are musicians, and both of them are outstanding musicians. Both of them are phenomenal. They're recovering and, brewery owners and current musicians. Yeah, man, I said, is it? yeah, exactly. It was like uh, we looked at the area. We looked at who our investors were. Looked at our wives who could not get on board with the IPA. Suck your face inside out through a swizzle stick. You know, want make you want to shave your tongue with a straight razor with a hundred IBUs or whatever, which was the trend becoming very popular at the time. Right? IPAs were known, but like I said, with the like the Ballard Bitter, which was one of my you know favorite beers that got me into it out in out Washington State. That that wasn't a crazy IPA that you know just fucking roasted your palate. So we went after it from a, what we call, we called ourselves craft curious. So the craft curious world was we wanted to win over the Lone Star drinkers, the Miller drinkers and the Bud drinkers, because those were the big breweries here in Texas. So we went after that and we sat down, we brewed a bunch of different beers. I think my first beer that I brewed as a, as a, you know, a, Hey, here's a potential was an ESB. Because it was hopped, right? But it was way on the mellow side of hop. And it was something that, you know, again, being a huge fan of the Red Hook ESB, I was, I said, you know, if we're going to come into the market and go after a, 
what people would say an unsophisticated palate, which I that, that's bullshit. That ain't an unsophisticated palate at all. You you know what you like and you drink what you like, right? So yeah, um, we went after. You know, I came in with the ESB. We ended up coming out with uh, uh, the on the lightest side would have been our cornerstone cream ale. I think all of us had had Genesee cream ale. I was, I was stationed in Connecticut at one point in my military career early on uh, in the early or late eighties. That was a beer that we had we had gone after was that was that cream ale style because it was craft. It was a little bit different because it was an ale, not a lager. Our cornerstone. Uh, so the turn time was quick. We knew we needed to have a quick turn time. We didn't want to fuck around with lagering beer, which to me, if if you're a microbrewery trying to get out in the market and get started, is a, is a stupid way to do things. But to start, you can go after that down the road once you've got tank space and money coming in and shit lots like that. Lots of tank right? space, yeah. yeah, and lots of tank space, right? So we went after we went after uh, our cornerstone cream ale. It did not have a heavy corn, creamy corn flavor to it. It was we were going after more of that Miller beer, right? Mm-hmm. So that was that was that. Then we came out with what was originally called Pike's Horizon. It was a Irish red, a traditional Irish red. And that cornerstone cream ale was really kind of a, a traditional, you know, these weren't recipes that we sat back and from a scientific say, oh, man, we got to create all these crazy new recipes. <laughs> Fuck, people have already figured it out, right? Just just utilize what's out there. And, and especially from the craft curious world, right, was to come out and drink beers that people could, anybody could drink, anybody could drink. A lot of people, when they open a brewery or winery or distillery or whatever, you know, fucking restaurant, you're typically trying to make things that you're going to want to consume off the clock. So would these also beers that you guys as a group were kind of like, you know, we don't drink the, the quadruple IPA, we don't want the bourbon barrel aged uh, Russian Imperial Stout, like what we want to drink every day are these? Is that how you pick them or was it more of a business decision? It, I think it was, I think it was both. It was something that we, we, we liked, at least I'll, I'll speak from my, my side of it. It was something that I, I like those beers. I like drinking lots of beer. If anybody out there that knows me knows that I drink a lot of beer, way too much, usually. Typically it's, I drink it till it's gone. Yeah. Is how I drink. Um, I know that guy. I've yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Uh, so it was, it, it was something that, but we, we, again, looking at the demographics of the Lakeway area, right? And Lakeway hadn't exploded, right? So we were, we were, we were looking at this area and getting people out to the brewery and stuff like that. We weren't going after the hipster crowd. Let's say I grew up with Starbucks. I was stationed out there when Starbucks was getting going and everybody ordered a, their, their crazy coffees were, you know, like an Almond Joy or a Mounds, <laughs> and and later on became some kind of goofy fucking double macchiato with twelve pumps of this and twelve pumps of that. And, At least twelve, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it was like what the, you know, yeah, that wasn't us, and that wasn't the demographics out here. So we, that's kind of where we were at. Look, if we were, if we're going to make some money out of this, we're going to have to get get people convinced that craft beer is not quite as scary as you think it is because there's a lot of preconceived notions out there then that craft beer is all ipas it's all hops it's all and we would hear that all the time oh my husband gave me a ipa or gave me a sip off of an ipa and i freaking hated it it was terrible so that was something that we were going after to to win that person over Mm. Right. So the Irish red that we did, traditional Irish red, it was called Pike. It was originally going to be called Pike's Horizon. However, 
pikes horizon as in sun coming up or horizon as in as in the pikes the pikes like a pike yeah uh of the irish there was a song again my told you my two partners were musicians Ah, so there was a song called the the rising of the moon okay and it'll one of the lines in there was the pikes will be rising at, at the rising of the moon and so that was where pikes arising came from Cornerstone, like I said, came from, maybe I didn't say it, but Cornerstone, the name Cornerstone came from from the church aspect of it, right? Mm-hmm. So that was really kind of, our, I think, our first beer. We decided to name that Cornerstone as Cornerstone of the Brewery, but at the same time, it was also the, cor- you know, Christ was the Cornerstone of the church. That 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 was part of it. So we had motivation, right, on that, on, on some of the naming, right? Um, uh, kind of like the motivation of naming the brewery. The Pike Brewing Company, which was called Pike Place Brewing back in the day, right? Which, <laughs> named after the location in which it was. Which yes. Named after the location which it was, which was in the Pike Place market. Yeah. I knew those guys, not not personally on a on a friendship basis but i knew them through you know from going there to visit and uh drinking their beer and stuff like that but they had launched in austin at that time they had just I launched in that. austin and i found their beer i was in uh i think i was in like a central market or something and i was in the beer cave and i saw the pike 5x stout i think is what it was which was my favorite beer that they made i said oh shit i called out there and i said hey we got it. we're a brewery in texas and we've got this beer called pike's horizon that we're getting ready to launch we saw you guys just launched obviously we you know don't want to step on your dick what do you think about us using that name and they said no don't use it so we renamed it roundhead red and the roundheads was a group if you go back into history and look at who the roundheads were you'll kind of understand what they did and the red signified the blood, and la 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 from there, right? That's our fucking great story. Yeah. Whatever. So that beer was going to be about violence, no matter yeah, what. Yeah, yeah, right. So, <laughs> but it was just this easy drinking Irish red, and I was a huge fan of Killians. I think it was back then, you know, because they were like the, like the only Irish red I think that was even out in the market, you know, other than yeah. maybe if you Especially found from Ireland, it yeah, yeah, you know, and if you found Kilkenny, which good luck on that. Right. That was, you know, that was another one that was a huge favorite of mine, uh, a nitrode Irish red. So we did that. Then we did Dauntless IPA. Dauntless IPA, I used Falconer's Flight Hops. And I did that because I'm an aircraft guy, craft mechanic. Uh, I love the name of the hop. I loved the blend of hops that it was. It was mostly a homebrewer's hop. It was expensive. I think it paid homage to a guy by the name of Gary Falcon. They, they named it after him after he had passed. The Falconer's Flight Hop was, we thought was, uh, I thought, I thought, because it was, that was my beer. It was a, uh, it was a great hop to introduce. Went for an upfront hop bitter and, and, and aroma and everything and finished clean on the back end. There was nothing residual that was going to sit back there. And again, like I said, leave you wanting to shave your tongue. Right. So the Dauntless came from the Dauntless dive bomber. Again, was my favorite aircraft of World War II next to the B-17, and B-17s just sounded stupid. So <laughs> it was like uh, like I was playing Battleship or something. But it was like, uh, you know, Dauntless, it meant fearless, right? That was the path that we went with that one. The idea was no fear. This is an IPA that you can drink with no fear. It's and and that was where that came from. So the between the name of the aircraft, the Falconer flight, the Falcon being the fastest diving bird on the planet, yeah. reaching speeds of upwards of like two hundred miles an hour or whatever, right? 
it just kind of all played into my sick little head as a great story. Turned out to be a beer that my wife and other ladies really enjoyed. Which, so I figured if I can win over my wife as an IPA drinker, okay, right? I've got my wife drinking IPAs. And we called it more of a gateway IPA. It was a gateway for people to go to a bar, you know, or another brewery and go, well, let me try your IPA. That normally would say, I fucking hate IPAs because all you're trying to do is kill me. And so that was what we like. why we called it kind of a, a craft curious brewery slant gateway IPA. Makes sense. So, you know, wasn't over the top in, in ABV, easy drinker. And then, then we did Big Drought Stout. So we brewed that 2011. It was 112 degrees outside. And like a fucking dipshit, I was out there brewing like in my later hosen on our Sabco on my back patio. I, I, I don't think I walked right for about, you know, a month because of the heat and the leather. That does seem like a terrible idea. Uh, oh, it was, it, yeah, it, it was great at the time, you know. It was, you know, it was fun. And, well, you're you telling know, the story a decade later, so yeah, at some point, yeah. yeah. It's, but, so uh, it, it came from, we drew, we brewed that during during the drought, but we didn't call it drought as in we did it drought as in the style of beer drought right a draft mm-hmm. uh, right so that was big drought stout and it was a uh, 4% dry irish stout actually went on to win a gold medal at great american beer festival uh, later on really uh-huh which was fantastic right then we did a couple other beers we did trinity vanilla milk stout which was a seasonal that once you know the winter hit we wanted something a little heavier that turned out to be a real easy drinking vanilla milk stout we did a beer called chosen chosen golden ale one of my partners came up with that idea. Beaker came up with that idea because we were huge fans of sushi and we like sake. He sat down and you know he hit me up one day and he's like, "I got this beer, man, that is going to pair with sushi, like specifically pair with sushi." Yeah. So we got a hold of John Cho at and his brother David at Cho Sushi, which in the Lakeway Steiner Ranch area, or well, actually it was only Lakeway at the time. They were a really good sushi house. And we worked with their sushi chefs and those two brothers to create and went through several uh, iterations of to create this beer that would pair with sushi. And it tasted it was great. It was great for sake bombs. But it was <laughs> it was this it was this um, seven, seven and a quarter percent beer that drank like a Mick Ultra. And everybody that the women at the, that would come out to the brewery loved it. They would they would drink the shit out of it because it was had more of a sake or wine characteristic than it did a beer characteristic. Yeah, but still right? enough kick to kind of let you feel it. Oh right? yeah, well, hence then everybody these guys were coming. Out. I shouldn't say this, but you need to rename that beer Panty Dropper. My wife loves that beer, and I have <laughs> not got that lucky in a long time. Wow! And so guys would come out and buy cases of it from the brewery. I looked up your reviews on Instagram, Untapped, and all those guys, and I couldn't find anyone that said that. I wish to God I had. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, it was something, but it was crazy, right? And so I was like, yeah, keep it in that, you know, with that uh, biblical theme. I don't think it's probably really that great of an idea. That turned out to be probably our most unique beer. It made it through the first round, first round at, G- at GABF, its first submission, and the re- remarks we got back on the comment cards from the people that were tasting it were like, holy shit what is this right because yeah, I, just, I can't remember what we entered what category we entered it in which makes a huge difference if you, you can enter it in things it doesn't necessarily go into but if, as long as nothing else there is better you still win yeah and these people Car are like <laughs> so i mean it was one of those things where 
it probably had more of a weird kind of cult following with our locals than any of our other beers. And we, we didn't really put it out in the market a whole lot. It was actually the very first beer we launched. We launched it at this Australian restaurant bar called the Down Under Deli. It was the very first beer we put into the market. They were our very first account. We were self-distributing, and, I mean, you know, everything was done by hand. Uh, you know, we just had blank six-pack carriers. You know, we were doing bottling. Oh, yeah. We were doing bottling, but we would just take the label and stick it on the fucking cardboard carrier, right? Those were basically it. We didn't go after anything much after that. We maybe played around with some versions of what we had done, but we did not go after the seasonal really go after the seasonal market like especially like what i've seen over the last few years right Mm -hmm. you know some guys have done a great job other breweries like like us wasn't what we were trying to do so who uh who designed like the labels and the artwork okay so friend of mine uh who was in the advertising and marketing business had been on dealing in marketing in austin for years and years and years again we're all we're all older right (laughs) so i'll date myself i mean i'm 52 so uh, this would have been back in 2011, 12, 13 time frame. We reached out to our buddy, and he found a uh, artist. And she she was at UT. She submitted the portfolio of kind of some ideas and stuff like that, some rendering. And we're like, oh, love that, right? <laughs> okay, that's great. And so we uh, we go with her to, with this particular design. All of a sudden, one of my partners who was in the distribution world reaches out to us and he goes halt everything and the reason that we said halt every or he said halt everything was because this brewery out of louisiana i think it is or mississippi called lazy magnolia had just come to texas i think yeah they just come to texas and they had this porter or stout or something that they were doing and lo and behold the fucking label was exactly, and I'm not talking about like any different. It was instead of having the magnolia up on the top, it had SRB for Solid Rock Brewing, right? That was it. And I'll tell you what, man. Probably an accident, though. I imagine she didn't do it on purpose. Oh, man. So funny how it all worked out, right? Because it was one of those things where we were like, oh, yeah, man, God's in our corner. And because. My buddy had just dropped, literally that day, had dropped the check in the mail to her for a six-figure fucking check, right? Wow. Which is a lot of money to a brewery yeah. starting and for her design. And he literally, he got that email. He walks out to the mailbox, pulls <laughs> the check out of the, pulls the envelope out, and the mailman was at the next mailbox up. Yeah, I'm sure she would have given it back. I mean, it was a complete accident. Yeah, I mean, I was like, wow. But yeah, that was crazy, right? So we were like, uh, okay, fucking trust no one. So it was, uh, so we ended up going with, coming up with the design that we had. And then label wise, it kind of, everything just kind of spawned off of that other than the chosen. The chosen had this kind of John or Cho Sushi's logo was like a koi fish. And we just kind of, Worked with him on designing something similar that, you know, signified, you know, something that represented, hence the name Chosen, yeah. C-H-O, you know, apostrophe S-E-N, Cho Sushi. So that was where we came up with that idea. Yeah, it was, um, it was, it was, it was pretty interesting. It was just kind of funny how all that worked out like it did. That was kind of it. Were we all really thrilled? No. I don't think any of us were absolutely thrilled with our design label. I know I was not. 
It very it was clean. I remember it was like kind of yep. I wouldn't call it plain, but it didn't have a lot of ornateness to it. But, Absolutely. Yeah. No, you're hundred percent correct. It was it was very it was it, it followed our beers, really. Uh, you know, for, sense, the, for yeah. the man for the most part. We weren't going for anything you know, we, we had some pretty crazy design ideas that were thrown out there, but yeah, it was it was like you said, it was clean, it was pretty bland. W- would I have done it differently? Maybe. Well, no, I, I would have done it differently because we weren't winning any of the real craft beer fans, you know, with where who you know other these these other breweries were doing all these really cool labels and and we weren't. Unfortunately, what you're seeing now, especially in the market, and when when did you guys actually? Finally shut down? 17, yeah. 18, maybe, something like that? It, I want to say it was like, yeah, it was like 16 or 17, maybe, something like that. The, uh, I would I would argue that since that date, marketing has become way more important than the quality of beer. <laughs> and so you uh, you got lucky that you didn't have to fight through it now. Because I think what you're seeing now is just the brightness of the can, the basic design. It's, just, it's almost comic booky, And everything has just got to have this like one and a half second get their attention, keep their attention. It's hard to even tell what, what the beer is. It's oh, just, absolutely. It's just a picture of something cool and interesting that gets their attention. So one of the things that we kind of, what we, what we went after was uh, it, we ended up doing a couple of commercials later on on the horn. Again, like I said, my buddy worked in radio. Yeah. So we decided to do some commercials on the horn. And uh, we did this skit called The Beer Hunter. One of the things that we had said, it was like going to Academy, you know, walking into the beer aisle, even back then, which is sad to, to say compared to now, but back then it was like walking into Academy and looking at fishing lures. What the fuck, what lure do you know what to buy, right? Oh, that one's pretty. You know, I'll buy that one. I have no <laughs> idea what it's going to catch. But, you know, it, but that was what we said. You know, it was like, you know, it was like walking into a, an Academy looking at fishing lures. And so what stood out? And we didn't do that. We yeah. Uh, so well, you were kind of looking for the market of the person that didn't want to take that risk. So I guess ultimately you sent the brand message you were looking for. Whether or not it was a successful play is a different right. argument. Right. But right. you did you did do what you meant to do. So yeah, I guess that's a success. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Right. So go back and do it all over again. Amongst the gazillion other things I would do differently, done a different label or something. You know, I probably would have went canning instead of bottling. Well, at the time, though, when you guys did it, long necks were still kind of a thing, and so it made sense. And to this day, there's still brewers that are doing long necks and doing them well. So that's not necessarily wrong, but I think the market has dramatically changed for the style of beer you're making. It would have probably sold easier in a can. I think you're right. It, and, and obviously, you know, again, back to the demographics, right? And I can't obviously ever emphasize that enough. You know, know your market. With the demographics we were going after with out here in the Spicewood Lakeway, BK area, bottles, that was quality beer. Cans was, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. You know, cans, I would still argue there's a percentage of that or a perception at least of that, sure, but sure. we'll see. You know, but everybody thought that, you know, cans had a, you know, oh, I can taste the metallic flavor in this beer. And I'm like, wow, your palate's like apparently way better than mine because I don't get any of that, you know, but... Do Keystone's, you know, I think Keystone line cans or something. That was like their big advertisement for a while or something. Well, they had to have something. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> they, they couldn't advertise quality. Yeah, but the Stones, now when the Stones thing, you know, uh-huh. that was genius, man. I mean, that was genius. And I'm really curious to dig into how you guys fought over who made the beer. It sounded like you had a few cooks in the kitchen. Right, so all of us had been home brewers. None of us had actually worked at a, a big brewery. Hindsight, again, somebody should have. 
you, you should always have somebody that somebody comes, take over and run the yeah, basic somebody, running operations. Yeah, somebody that knows what they're doing, really. So you know, it was uh, well. So I guess two. let me let me ask this question. I make a little more sense of what I'm trying to find out is. So let's say you said, for example, the IPA was sort of your baby. So we're all three of you brewing. Yes. So so did you each brew your own beers, or were those guys then brewing your IPA recipe the way that you wanted it made, but you weren't there on certain days, or to that I get. And that's the question I'm basically asking. Right, is, right. Did you guys each brew each other's shit? Nope. So we 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 always so the way it turned out to be was the structure ended up being two of us, Beaker and myself, were were the guys brewing the beer. And we always brewed the beer together. Okay. So you always had a backup? <laughs> always we were yeah, we were always there. I mean, unless obviously somebody was on vacation or something like that, which during that time frame, I mean, we weren't really taking vacation. I was going to say, you guys took vacation. Yeah. And then <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Again, you know, a distant. I'm dream. looking forward to that. Right. Well, I'm actually considering uh, like selling my brewery, and by the time this airs, I may have. And at that point, I might get a vacation. There it you might go. Be great. And, yeah. And, and you will you will enjoy it more <laughs> than you ever thought you would have. It's like the. You know, somebody on the TV series alone getting their first real meal, you know, <laughs> right. after 60 days of fucking eating dirt, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, but uh, it was, uh, Beaker and I did that, and the other Steve was was the sales guy because he had worked in the distribution business for 30 plus years. So that was what he did. Beaker and I would, would brew the beer. And we came at it from almost, you know, I was a fly by the, more a fly by the seat of your pants brewer, where as a mechanic, you know, I'm more into obviously the mechanical side of the brewery, right? The, mm-hmm. the, 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 you know, the turning the valves and this and that and how to fix things that don't work right. You know, I got a stuck mash. Fuck, that's easy. Let's, let's do this. And then Beaker was, uh, and rightly so from the Muppet character, right? He was the, you know, he was the scientific side of it, right? So he's like the numbers should work out like this. This is what the numbers say. Right. You know, the only time that maybe we had somebody else come in and brew with us or, or, or maybe the other Steve came in and brewed would be if if, if we if we needed it, right? So uh, other than that, he was working hands-on all day, every day with the distributor, obviously trying to, trying to keep sales going, mm-hmm. right? So that was, you know, or out in the market, you know, obviously trying to get new accounts and stuff like that because God knows fucking distributors don't do that. So, yeah, so it, that was kind of how the three of us. And then on the tap room days, we were only open on Friday and Saturday. Our wives came out. So we had we had one employee, and he found us via California. He, he, <laughs> that makes complete sense. Yeah, he was in. He, he moved here from California. And he's like, you know, man, I've tried all these beers. I really like your beer. It reminds me of the home brews that I used to do. I want to volunteer. I'm like, you think you do you re- honestly realize what you're getting yourself into here? <laughs> because you know, it, home brewing is fun. Running a brewery is work. Yeah, and and that's where all the fun goes out the window, right? So at least for me. And so yeah, it, it, so we ended up with him. That was he worked in say he worked on the brewery. He wanted to learn everything about the brewing process from a big system or bigger system, not you know, um, big system, but bigger thirty barrel system. And uh, and then he got into the sales side of things and stuff and kind of found out that that was where more of his niche was so really he enjoyed that part he did that's he, my least he actually, favorite he part. loved yeah. he loved going out and talking to people and he was a very personable kind of guy and so that was that was kind of but we we were all hands on deck man if i can use one of my old navy terms <laughs> you know it was all hands on deck and and our wives did a great job you know we had so many repeat customers 
we had regulars that would just from the area that would just come out because they, you know, I think they liked being around us. Yeah. Maybe not me, but my partners. Somebody there. Like yeah, being around, yeah. I know they, yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, that was kind of our, that was how our hierarchy was. And everybody was equal, which again, like I said, I, would, I wouldn't do that again. So you think that you would recommend then putting in managers essentially or people who are over things, which like, would have been hard because if you're a partner, how do you tell your partner that he gets the fuck out? Like, exactly. No, right? and, and, no, and you're 100% correct. I mean, right. So from a, from a ownership standpoint is where I, is where it starts. So if you're, you know, t- I would tell somebody who's looking at opening a brewery, I would say, you know, okay, you and your, your, your best buddy there is getting ready to, you know, hey, we got to open a brewery. Oh, that's a great idea. And uh, I'll put in 50 grand and you put in 50 grand. Okay, no, wrong. <laughs> you know, somebody's got to be 51% is how it's got to be, right? So somebody's got to be 51% and, and, and be able to take the reins. Well, you can do that on paper if you have a management agreement that you know, says operations will be run by somebody. Can still create fights down the line, but at sure. least it's uh, you've got to wait till the next board meeting to bitch about yeah, it. Right, <laughs> so right, it slows exactly. down the, exactly. the argument part. Well, I think that if uh, if I was going to try to, we could probably talk the entire afternoon. But I've got one segment left, and so again, I also have an empty glass, and so we're going to take a quick break, fill the glass, and I definitely want to get into distribution and what happens. You know how some of the lessons that you learned as a as you wound it down, and and you know what. Hopefully, it's some of the things that other people can avoid. So. Yeah, absolutely. Pitfall City. <laughs> we'll get into that when we get back. <laughs> so do you ride motorcycles? Because if you do, you want the sickest gear on the planet. And SimpsonMotorcycleHelmets.com is the site for you. Break free from the pack with your kick-ass style and design that is as subtle as a sucker punch. When you're out on the open road, don't let anyone confuse you with your grandpa. Project an attitude that's all your own. With their signature style and performance, Simpson sets the standard of looking cool while providing superior comfort and protection. Authenticity counts, and there are many helmet brands out there, but there is only one Simpson. You ride a killer bike, don't you? Why settle for a boring helmet? Pick your poison at SimpsonMotorcycleHelmets.com. Badass riders don't settle for anything less. See for yourself on Instagram at Simpson underscore motorcycle underscore helmets. Thanks for riding with us. We'll see you out there. All right. We are in the home stretch now. But I'm, to be honest with you, I'm, I actually am not that intoxicated. So we've done a good job of just sort of being chill, enjoying yeah. the lake for what it was. Whiskey's been great. I enjoy the Irish whiskey and cigar. Appreciate the uh, hospitality. Always my pleasure. Yeah. And uh, so one of the big things I really want to get into, and I, I just I know you guys were distributed far and wide, so I hope you can spend a little time talking about how that went. Obviously, your other partner was really the guy who spearheaded that and ran point on it. But what do you know about like, how did that relationship work and how did you pick the distributors you picked and how far did you go? When we started making the decision to go from self-distribution into regular distribution, he had reached out to a handful of distributors and all of them had expressed interest it was it was you know it was pretty flattering really we ended up choosing can i say who we chose yeah okay so we ended up going with brown distribution uh here locally in the area which for those of you not in texas is the ab distributor in austin yep yep ab distributor so we ended up uh going with them and they were just as excited about it i think as we were being able to you know really kind of just blast out there they had a lot to offer i mean they you know I mean, they were, they're the freaking Goliath, right? I yeah. Mean, they're huge. And That's one of the things people forget is like, you, you know, AB, obviously, we think of as the enemy in the crappier side, but 
at the end of the day, what I've one of the things I've learned as I've experienced working with one and working with one that wasn't is that AD, for better or for worse, services a, almost 100% of the accounts in a given market. So even if you can only get a small percentage, if you've got a small distributor that's like, hey, we're really doing well, we've got 400 accounts, sure, but they've got 4,000. Like, you know, yeah, so. no, you're right. And I think at that time, I think they had... I think they had something like 1,200 accounts or something. It was crazy, right? Because I, I don't think they have the same territory that they had back when when we were with them. I think they have given up or sold off some of that. The Hill Country, uh, for yeah, sure, I know. Yeah, yeah definitely. In the, yeah, so we, yeah, we ended up going with them. And then uh, one of the things I'll say about Anheuser-Busch is, you know, people love to hate on them from the, you know, obviously from the craft beer world. But it, maybe it's not the beer for you, but they're fucking good at what they do. They know what they're doing. And they make good beer, if that's your style of beer, right? And and uh, their distributor, the, the way that they work together made that distributor very successful, I believe, right? With the help of, obviously, you know, a lot of money, a lot of marketing money, right? And ability to produce a lot of product and support it. Well, at and some point, say, common sense would tell you if, if you're a publicly traded company beholden to stockholders for your sales numbers and, and revenue and profit within that, that we've all kind of learned that distribution is a really big piece of that puzzle of how to get profit and, and top-end sales. So if you're going to pick somebody from their business acumen, it's likely going to be the, yeah. the, the AB guys. No, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it made sense. And they threw the spaghetti against the wall to see what would stick. Was it al dente? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so it was, it, it, you know, they literally launched us. I don't know the exact number, but I will say it was probably 90% of their accounts. They launched us out there. So, I mean, they were literally picking up. So we would we would bottle and keg a 60-barrel batch, and they would come pick it all up and take it. And it was did, gone, and they're waiting for the next one. Did you launch, so we talked about you had maybe five flavors. Did you launch with all of those through distribution first, or did you try to launch with one and then add in other ones later, or do you remember? We So we did the pre-mail, the, uh, the Cornerstone, Red, and the IPA, and then the Stouts came out later. And then Chosen, you know, for whatever reason, I mean, it, it just never, we didn't make a lot of it. It never really took off with the distributor side of things, which it was kind of, like I said, you know, before, it was kind of this like weird cult beer, you know, that was, uh, you know, more, uh, you know, well-received in the area at the brewery or maybe, you know, out out in this local area and stuff like that. But You should bring uh, it back now with some like art- artistically cartoony label and I guarantee it'll be your bestseller. I know, right? The market's I, I, changed, buddy. Oh, man. <laughs> I've had people ask actually ask me for that recipe. It was the only beer we wouldn't talk about. I'll give you the recipe to anything. That was the one particular beer we would we would not talk about because we felt that it was it, it was not a beer that you could pull up in any recipe book and go, there it is. Yeah. And so that was kind of our one little, you know, nugget of gold that we thought we had found that was so, you know, made us, you know, kind of made us fit into the craft beer world. Other than that, you know, we were, you know, we were making mainstream beers for the most part. Again, like I said, nothing, nothing wow, you know, or anything like that. But uh, distributor wise, you know, they, like I said, they launched us. Uh, we went out and we started doing tastings in the HEBs or anybody that would, you know, we, we, we could support. Did you guys do that yourself or did you pay a company to do it? We did it ourselves. Yeah, I would go into the local HEB and one of us would. Our wives, our, my daughters. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I, I will tell you a quick funny story. One guy came out. He was a great friend of mine. Had really never met my family. 
from the, from my daughters because my daughters were by the time we had moved to Texas, you know, I was forty years old and an empty nester, mm. right? So our kids were off in college or whatever. So when they would come back, they would come out and pour beer for fun at the brewery or something like that. So this this buddy of mine, he comes out and he goes, he's talking to my wife and I. He goes, "Dude, where'd you get the hot bimbos to pour the beer?" Oh, shit. And I go, I looked at him, I go, well, I go, I didn't have to look too far. They're, they're our daughters. Appreciate and, the compliment. Also, fuck you. <laughs> but it was so funny, man. Because knowing this, if you knew this guy, it was it was just funny as shit. Because he just fucking turned like eight shades of red and then turned around and goes, well, okay then. And walked off, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is so great. But, well, we all have those friends, right? Like, I, I still to this day tell the joke about when my kids were born. My son was born in 04. And at that moment, I was terrified. I was like, I don't have enough money in savings. Um, I didn't, you know, my retirement's not planned. I don't know what this kid's going to do for college. And my daughter was born two years later. And at that point in time, I called my friend Andy and I said, we cannot be friends anymore. Like, you know what I mean? It's every, every friend's different. They all have these different. I know, right? It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, you, you had the distributor here and your daughters would help you with the, the tastings and stuff. And yep. so you guys had split those out and did all the other owners help as well? Yep. Yep. Yeah. yep. It was, it was, everybody did as best they could. Obviously there were people that were still working. Uh, other jobs, you know, my wife had her own business, and then one of one of my partner's wives uh, worked with my wife. You know, so everybody kind of had other jobs other than the three of us. You know, our wives all had jobs, and so, but they they would come out on a Friday after work, help set up for the tap room hours because we we I think we opened at like four, yeah, and and we and we shut down at eight. They would pour beer, they would mingle, they would do everything. They clean. They, I mean, it was. It was literally, it, it was a, I'll call us a family, and, and it was a family event. At that point, I think we were still at one employee. You know, we had one young lady uh, that had came out and started working for us. She was happy as could be, and she would do whatever, you know, whatever. She'd make boxes and fold, unfold the six-pack carriers and stuff. And for the most part, our wives were doing that stuff, too. And we would try to do what we could, but it wasn't enough. Meaning you couldn't, you couldn't meet demand? You cannot satisfy a distributor's demands. And, and I will say this. A distributor is, is a distributor as a portfolio, right? Uh-huh. And you're just one part of that small, of that portfolio, of that large portfolio. You're one small part of it. And the real question then becomes, how much money you got? Or what do you have to offer? Or how can you help us? Because they don't have the manpower to do that stuff, right? Their manpower is delivering beer, presenting a sales spreadsheet or a sales sheet to whoever that is. Most of those accounts... Typically nine pages long. Absolutely, absolutely. And most of those places, unless you're doing a ride-along with them, right? Most of those places look and they go, I recognize that, whatever it is. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll throw Carbach out there, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody, everybody fucking knows who Carbach is. They would look and they go, I need an IPA for my wall. Okay, here's the sheet. Okay, I don't know these guys. I don't know these guys. I don't know these guys. Oh, there's Carbach. All right, put put Hopadillo or whatever, right? Or here's a new one from Carbach. Put it on the wall. Okay. They don't have the time to sit there and dick around with that stuff. And that's where that's where you have to be, you as the brewery owner or uh, owners or employees have to be out there in the market, right? You're out there, you know, beating the drum 24-7 trying to get somebody to know your name and and recognize your beer or taste. Most people, yeah, just leave it here, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll try it. And you're like, well, you know, I can't legally do that by TABC law, whatever it mm-hmm. is. 
you know, you need to do it now. I ain't got time for that shit. Either leave it here or fucking don't, you know, don't move on. Yeah, it's it's a that was that was a real quick lesson as more breweries came into the mix, more beers came into the mix, right? Because you know, here's here's little old Solid Rock still producing five beers, whatever it is, not doing a bunch of seasonals and shit. And here's all these other breweries, you know, every other week it seemed like there was a new fucking beer being launched. So, you know, okay, you got this, the, the, the guys at HEB wanting what's new. You got the guys at the, you know, the, the bar managers, you know, wanting what's new. You don't have a distributor that's sitting there plugging your product because there's what's almost zero incentive for them, right? Because you're not giving them a bunch of tchotchke bullshit to pass out to everybody. You're not putting umbrellas on their patio. You're not uh, taking them to the suite at whatever. Dude, when I lost a handle to a bar and the guy told me specifically, he said, well, they bought your handle. And I'm like... What? Which they're not supposed to tell you that. Oh, yeah, yeah. But no. usually they don't always know that they're yeah, not supposed yeah, to tell you that. You know, he's just a fucking dumb beverage guy. In you fact, know. little aside, I, and I've put this challenge on a few journalists throughout the years, and I'm going to put it out into the airwaves now officially. If anyone has any actual hair on their balls, they will go around Texas, and if you email me, I will happily tell you where to target. There are a bunch of bars getting paid for those tap panels illegally, yep. and I would love to tell you who to ask for and how, yeah. how to break that story. I, I will tell you how I learned that, too. I learned that through a gentleman, and I won't say his name, who worked in the beer... <laughs> you probably shouldn't. <laughs> right? He worked in the beer distribution business for a lot of years. Uh, he launched a couple of very significant beers here in Texas. I mean, I mean, like, I'm talking about big-name beers, not, yeah. not, not shit like microbrewery stuff. I'm talking... Not like New Braunfels Brewing Company. <laughs> yeah, right, the Solid Rock beer. Uh, but, you know, he sat down with me, and he goes, let me tell you how I launched this particular beer. And he goes, I built this outdoor patio for this, brew- for this place. And I told him, I said... You can only give away two of these handles on this entire wall. I control the rest. Uh, but I will I will do this in bar spending. I will bring you this. I built that. I saved you tens of thousands of dollars to fucking do this, uh-huh. right? I don't stand a chance there. You don't stand a chance there, right? The only no one does. Yeah, that's right. Unless you're with that particular distributor and somehow you have a, a leg up with them. Right? No, I, I use the example very late in the book, but if you read the book, um, I actually never did not say who the brewery was. But when I first started distributing with uh, my distributor locally in New Braunfels, it was the first distributor we were with, and I did ride-alongs, and we would go to a certain place. And I remember you know, they, they talk in code, right? And so the rep is saying, like, oh, no, 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 so-and-so will be in later to do the thing or whatever. And it happens at a couple of the bars we had gone to. And then I asked him later, like, what was it? And uh, I didn't mention it in the book because in print, I was a little bit afraid to talk shit about him. But in uh, the podcast, I'm not. But the Heineken was literally buying back 100% of the kegs that the distributor was selling into the market because they wanted those kegs to be like whatever it was, a dollar a pour, so that people would drink it and then go to the grocery store and gas station and buy a six-pack. So the whole marketing plan was fuck draft. Our margins are set at retail that we can make enough money to go off premise. Which, granted, I, I don't know what the budget was, but it had to be pretty bad, goddamn high. Like, so. Oh yeah, and those guys, you know, 
it, it's you know, it's like I think you and I had mentioned before, you know, where I saw somebody really excited about launching Yingling here in Texas. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's great. And, you know, I like Yingling beer. I'm not going to, you know, knock them. And I love the fact that they're still, you know, they're still, well, now that AB sold out, they're the oldest uh, American-owned brewery, you know, in the country. And um, and they're, they're growing, and that's great. But at the same time, right? They're coming in with big dollars, mm-hmm. and they're going to, in order to get those placements on the walls, as I found out also later on, most of these beverage managers couldn't give two fucks about what's on their wall, right? It just needs to move, yeah. Yeah, I but, mean, it, that, that was it. Hey, this ain't selling, all right, get it off the wall, but bring me something else. But the thing that I learned was, hey, you're supporting local. It's, most of them don't give a shit, because they don't own the place. Well, you got like what Craft Pride in Austin does, and that's about it. Yeah, I mean, you, <laughs> that's their whole business model. But you know, yeah, yeah, I mean, it was something that it just—I don't know—it just—it it was an eye opener for me. The world of sales and distribution, and that, I'm not knocking Brown. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Brown had to do what Brown has to do, right? I mean, they have people to answer to. Well, and they're a machine, because so clearly they're not yeah. losing money. They've been around for decades. Absolutely, and they, they figured out a model that works for them. And so, the problem isn't that it doesn't work for Solid Rock. The problem is that Solid Rock hasn't figured out how to way to make their business model work for Brown. Yeah. And that sucks, but that's the reality of the yeah. thing. So like at some point, I hope that's maybe part of the podcast that we, as an industry of suppliers, can learn how the fuck do we crack the nut of making a distributor work for us. Right. I don't have the answer, like I've said many times. I know what not to do, but I don't necessarily know what to do. You know, one of the things that I did learn out of that was money makes the world go round, right? And so... When we put our business plan together and put everything out there as to how we were going to go about all this, we came up with a, a magic number, right? This yeah. is the, whatever the number is. Let's say a million dollars. And then you you quickly learn that you are way off because you could make the best fucking beer on the planet. If nobody knows about it, whoop-de-doo, right? No, so, I, would, I would argue outside of Carbock, I don't know if there's a brewery in Texas that started capitalized all the way. Like I think that they may be the only brewery in Texas that started 100% capitalized, and the rest of us were behind the eight ball the whole time. But somebody didn't, one of them or somebody there, own a distributorship prior a big, to that? A big one, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that's already coming into the game eyes wide open. Yeah. You know, I'm coming into the game eyes wide shut. And so, yeah, it was like, yeah, it was it was amazing. And it, so where we realized we did not have near enough money to support what Brown needed us to do in order to make us a, a, a successful company. I could only do so many tastings. And, and, by the th- and, and let me say that by the time we realized all that, we were already running out of working capital. So if you realize all that, for all you new brewery guys out there and stuff like that, take whatever you think that you need to get this thing off the ground if you're actually going to try to sell beer out in the, out in the market somewhere and not just be a baby baby little you know neighborhood bar brew pub which is, which I'm not sure we're recommending you do I think you should stay local yep I'm, I'm with you that's exactly it I'm, I'm all about that take whatever you think that magic number is go find somebody who actually knows what the fuck they're doing in the world of marketing like somebody successful that knows what they're doing <laughs> well, the like a real like, business person yeah, like, like, a, like a degree yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like a real marketing firm I don't know that guy but I hang out with Brewer so I you wouldn't know, yeah find out what they would what number, what, not number, but what you need, what they would have you do in order to get that, that marketing exposure that you truly need, right? That's the number you gotta, that's, that's the number you gotta go after. And then add 10% on top of that. 
because there's going to be a whole bunch of little pitfalls that come into play. And, and, and 10% may even be a low number of percentage. I don't know. Yeah. But it was, it was something that I realized real quick that the people that I am up against have way more money than I do. They are willing to put it out there and spend it in order to well, buy power in the that's right, to get yeah. their exposure and, and get their sales. And it, sometimes, sometimes even that doesn't work. You know, you still got to make good beer. Yeah. So, well, so here's a question I want to ask you to name them. I'll name them for you. So you guys are also with Blue Bonnet in Houston. Uh, and so Blue Bonnet would be the polar opposite. And that was obviously the point of the podcast, again, is to sort of un- unmine the field, right? So if, um, if we're saying that it's a challenge to go with an AB distributor that kind of dominates the market and has decades of, of, of proof of that dominance, the other option would be, hey, maybe I'm not a fit for that place, so I'm going to go to the small scrappy distributor. Which is where, a play, and there were multiple of them. I interviewed uh, Wandering Boots in Houston as well, which was sort of the opposite or the alternate choice of those two. So the small upstart, the the small, the little guy who is learning the market but wants to take on the small brands that don't have the clout that the big brands do. You guys were there. I don't even if you know this, but Blue Bonnet is no longer selling beer. They're kind of out of business. Not know that. So, that doesn't surprise me. Subsequent to you leaving. And so, uh, anyways, I'm curious if you, again, I, I know that Maybe Steve ran the front lines of this, but was that an easier relationship? Did you get better sales in Houston than you did in Austin, or would you recommend one versus the other? What are the pitfalls there? So why do you why do you expand your market? You expand your market because this is my my personal opinion because you can't make ends meet where you're at. So you're making or you're hyper successful. Yeah, but either way, oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah, maybe you are. Maybe you're hyper successful. You know, but what is that like? Point one percent of the of, of everybody out there. You I can know. tell you feel about it. I put this in the book that I did the same exact thing. I went nationwide because I couldn't sell more beer in Texas. So, yeah. yes, I agree with you. No, that is exactly it. I mean, it's like, okay, well, we're still making we're still making 30 or 60 barrel batches, and we ain't selling what we thought we should be here. So, where's the next most logical place to go? Well, you know, go over here. Go to San Antonio. Go to Houston. Go to Dallas. Go nationwide. Whatever, right? But you've got to have the exposure, unless your name is so well-known, or you are making an electric jellyfish, <laughs> right? If it, Which, if you're not in Texas, is the uh, Austin original hazy APA from Pine House, by the way. One of the, yeah. one of the most amazing things that I have ever witnessed in my life, and at least from a beer uh, perspective. Those guys, fucking, they didn't hit a home run. They hit a grand slam and won the game in the bottom of the ninth. I mean, that was amazing. And that, to me, unless you have, like they did, people on a waiting list to get that beer, mm-hmm. right? You know, the only, the only other avenue you have is to either figure out how to cut your costs to where you still support your small local market and still pay your bills and, and while, while producing smaller amounts of beer, which if you've checked the price of equipment and everything else, it's extremely difficult to do because the bank still wants their money. It ain't like the fucking banks going, well, okay, you know, yeah, you just pay me next, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you on Friday for a hamburger today, right? No, and these they, fuckers want it every month. <laughs> I don't know what they're thinking. Like, I know, what? right? It's like, <laughs> so it was like, yeah, it's like kind of the wimpy thing, right? The wimpy <laughs> philosophy. Um, you know, but it's, it's uh, you sign with these guys and you sign with those guys. And, and the next thing you know, you, you can't support it all. So what do you need to do? You got to go find salespeople, sales reps. Because the distributorship ain't doing it. And so that's more money. That's that's where you need to be sinking your money. 
not not creating the next, you know, another beer to put on the wall, going broke, creating all these really cool beers that every, you know, everybody in your neighborhood likes, you know, or maybe, and when I say neighborhood, I'm talking about like your local area, Austin yeah. or Houston or whatever, but you've got to well, have. So this is one of the challenges of the market. I think that, so then the other side of that coin is right. Like you, if you don't want to hire a rep or don't have strong presence in the market, then you need to have something new every week. But what you wind up with is sort of the conundrum is that if you have something new every week, then you don't have anyone in the market explaining what it is. And so at some point, someone's still got to be there explaining it. Right. So now you're investing in having a new brewery every week, but you still got to invest in having someone to educate it. And so clearly what you're saying is in Houston, you were leaving that to Tim and his uh, team over at Blue Bonnet. That was it. And I do remember going down to Houston, we did, uh, you know, we did a couple of, you know, ride-alongs or, you know, one fucking thing that irritates the shit out of me is when you go on a ride-along and they talk about other beers. They do a lot, don't they? You know, that to me is like a slap to the face because you, as a company owner, right, you're an, you are an owner in the company and you have given up the time to go and rep your product. Which with, theoretically is expensive time. It could be doing a million other things that might get oh, a better return. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if you got time to lean, you got time to clean. And that was, you know, <laughs> another old military thing that we always used to, they always used to hit us with. Was that military? Oh, man. I was a waiter at 16, and the guy that owned the place kept saying it to me, and I fucking wanted to kill him. Yeah. So apparently he was, lean, he may have been in the military. Oh, yeah. man, that was it. You know, so, yeah, if you didn't have a fucking, you know, sponge in your hand. But so as a brewery owner, you yeah, you've got a zillion other things you could be possibly be doing and probably need to be doing than going down there and, and riding along with this guy. Yeah. But at the same time, you've got to get your and, – and so, you know, when you typically – what I always found was, you know, I'd show up and uh, it didn't matter where it was at. And they would go – so it, they would always assume that I was just another sales guy. Right, until you got to that point and that, their eyes would open and be yeah. like, oh, you're the owner. They go, so what do you do at the brewery? I go, well, first, I, I, I mean, I, I clean the toilets and I sweep the floor and I mow the yard and I do this and I do that. And then and oh, another thing I do is, oh, I brew the beer and, oh, yeah, and, and I own it. Oh, oh, you're the owner. Well, now you kind of get a little more, at least a little more respect out of it, but still, it's one of those when when they would they would go oh yeah you know hey this is uh, Kurt from Solid Rock and and you know here's oh here, here's our latest sales sheet right it ain't here's here's Solid Rock's latest sales right sheet. we printed a special for today because yeah. you knew you were going to be here yeah. that, that doesn't happen yeah here's I actually a- had that happen once really mm-hmm. I think it was in Oregon actually with uh, Point Blank so which I don't think exists anymore but yeah that was a but that was something that again was another eye opener because I'm sitting back going, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? You know, this is this is my time. Again, something to always keep on the lookout for, and and more than likely just expect it, right? It's 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 something that as a new brewery owner, that uh, you know, if I went back and did this all over again, and, and I went and signed with a distributor and went out into the market and did ride-alongs, I would know how to thwart that right out of the gate, right? That was you know. I would I would make it very clear that this is my time. This is not your time. You can when you drop me off, you can go make your fucking rounds again and go do what you need to do. But no, this is my time. Before the late nineties, when you wanted to know what year Napoleon invaded Russia, you'd have to either A pay attention in class, B know somebody who knew, or C 
look it up in an encyclopedia. Thankfully, my kids don't have to look in 30 volumes of Britannica to find answers anymore, and neither should you. When you're fermenting beer in a closed tank, you can either use the hydrometer that was invented in 1790, go check it up on Google, or AccuBrew. And AccuBrew is a real-time web-based measurement system that gives you access to your beer's fermentation metrics from literally anywhere in the world. It measures current gravity, temperature, and even clarity, and compares them to the standards you set for the recipe your team is brewing. If something's off, you'll get a notification immediately. So seriously, go to AccuBrew.com, follow them on socials at AccuBrew, or just call Parker at 727-685-9860. Your beer, your customers, and I will truly thank you. Yeah, and some of the better distributors, if you play it right, you can tell them, hey, I'm coming into town these days, and I want appointments set. More often than not, you're going to be disappointed, but some of the better distributors will actually set specific appointments for you that day. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite things to hear is like, you know, normally this is my Monday account, but I'm pretty sure they were going to buy XX style of beer that, or, or your beer, that one of your fans, whatever. And so we're going there today. That's a ride-along designed for the time that Kurt spent in the market, and that is fantastic. So if you're a distributor listening to this, do fucking that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, no, exactly, man, exactly. Uh, who else did we have? We had Tri-City, which was part of the family of Brown. And then we had, I don't remember who it was in San Antonio. I don't either. Maybe Silver Eagle? Nope. Nope. We talked to Silver Eagle. At that point, you would have had basically Glaziers and the, they were the Shiner the, distributor whose name has escaped me. Tim Campion was a runner. Yes, 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 yes. That's well, I can't was. think of it. I, I cannot either. Yeah, Tim, Tim was part Nice of guy. I really liked Tim Campion. Yeah, he's I, a cool guy. I, yep, absolutely. Uh, props to him. He considering he works a distributor, that means he's like an 11 out of 10. But yeah, no. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, hindsight 2020 thing, which I keep I keep saying, I hate saying, you know, that obviously people get tired of hearing it, but it's a, uh, I would, I would make a lot of different decisions on how I would have negotiated my, my relationship with a distributor. Anything and in particular that you, any advice you would give? Yeah. Have an out. So That's in Texas, the, you can't, right? Like, right. Exactly. So you can, you can put that, I think, I think you can, uh, attempt to put that in so my understanding is there are distributors who will put it in and basically what it means the distributor has the play so like if we're gonna name name let's name them all so i know flood when they first started they actually told people that you it was a whatever i think it was you can cancel anytime maybe 30 days notice or whatever and to their credit i do believe that they were honoring that for a while i have no idea if they're still honoring that so please don't sign with them thinking that i, I said you can get out of it the way it works is basically the distributor has to let you out yep and I have experienced times when they did, and I have experienced times when they did, but did it with strings. Um, right. And so, if, if you ever want to know some tricks to get out of distributor relationships, feel free to reach out. You're not going to like what I tell you, but that, I could definitely help in that sense. But yeah, I agree with you. If you can get out, that would be fantastic. But in Texas, I I think it's it, it's going to be luck on, on the supplier side, I think. Absolutely. And, and you know, one of the things that I realized also was, at least at the time, and I don't know what it is now, obviously, but it's it, distributors were collecting breweries like you would collect trading cards, right? So Especially it, when because, you guys were starting. Absolutely, yeah. when we started. Because if, if you, if they had you, nobody else did. Right. And they could fucking do with you whatever they felt like. Well, even they didn't think that we were going to get exponentially more breweries so they thought they were locking up the potential competitors right and uh, what they didn't realize there was 19 behind you <laughs> so. yeah exactly exactly and so yeah i mean that was obviously like i said an out and obviously if, if, if it costs you money to figure that out legally do it yeah. it's worth it and also because it doesn't matter what kind of relationship you have or you think you have 
when it's all said and done, the odds are that it's business, right? And business is business. If you have the opportunity to go somewhere else, right, you now pose a threat to those guys because you may take a skew that, uh, you know, on the shelf that they had. Yeah. And, and so that is a huge thing that that's why they don't want to let you go because they can, like I said, they can do whatever they want with you. And and there's almost not not nothing, but almost nothing you can do about it. There's very little, at least Texas, very little you can do about it. But maybe that's an interesting way to think of it. So it's almost like we're the artist and they're the art dealer. And so at some point you create whatever you want to create, but they're the ones making it, they're monetizing it. They're the ones actually creating revenue out of it. And they're going to behave like business people because they aren't the artists. They don't care about the creation. And as much as they care that the creation was made well enough to add value, the value is what they're looking for, not so much the creation. Right. Which is hard for people that aren't on that side to understand or at least appreciate, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, you hear the same, you hear the same thing from musicians, right? Yeah. Musicians, no, it's the same thing. Yeah. You know, you want to, you know, a lot of lessons can be learned from, from old musicians, you know, like Chuck Berry when, when he started, now give me my money up front. Because, you know, before I perform, you're going to fucking pay me now. Yeah, just in case. Yeah. <laughs> right? You, you ain't going to give me my cut later. You're going to give me my money now or I ain't fucking doing the show. Well, and, and distributors don't do that. They yeah. pay you when they want to. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. There right. are some that pay cash. And Tri-City pays cash. So we should give them a heads up for that or a shout out for that. For and sure. I will say that Brown was outstanding at doing that. The Brown was, and like I said, Brown is great at what they do. They, they are great at what they do. They are great at distributing beer, not selling beer. <laughs> They're great at distributing beer. If the demand is there, they'll get the product to that's them. That's right. Yes. That's right. You, as the brewery, have to have a sales team. They have to. And it needs to be way bigger than you think it is, or it needs to be. Well, so that's a pretty easy lead-in to the, kind of the, the next thing that I I have to ask you. Did, did you ever read online beer reviews? I did a few. Because that is... One of the things that one of the only ways outside of sales numbers that us artists can sort of gauge the the, the overall feeling of our beer, the demand, the how it's received, right? Like if people are online, you know, I joke, coming all over the internet, then clearly <laughs> they love it, right? So uh, you know, Untapped Beer Advocate and Rape Beer will be the big ones that people look at, and I hope you didn't because it would make your life uh, not as happy. But did you read those? I read some. I, it reminds me. Did you ever see? Uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. I think so. I've seen when, part of it. I know. But when they do the when the when they start reading like their online reviews of the of the, the uh, Chronic and Blunt Man, the Adventures of Chronic and Blunt Man, <laughs> and they're talking so. about Jay and Silent Bob, they're like, Jay and Silent Bob are fucking asshats. You know, fuck them up the ass. You know, this is they're just yelling, like yelling all these uh, I mean, just stupidity. Reading, oh man, it's all these and and they go at it from a we're gonna hunt every one of those fucking guys down. And they go after them. It's so funny, man. And they're As like, they should. Hey, are you so-and-so online that, you, do, you know, is this name? Did you write this? And then they beat the shit out of them. It's like one of those things where I, yeah. didn't, I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want to be Jay and Silent Bob going around trying to hunt down all the people that wrote shitty reviews. Well, I shouldn't say it. Their opinion. As to how they felt about my, my product. So, I think that's awesome. But I just want to clarify. So, are you, you would actually be one of the only brewers I've spoken to particularly on the podcast but maybe almost ever and there's a small handful but that didn't read untapped check-ins is that what you're telling me i didn't 
that's a win. So this is an anomaly to me. And not only am I surprised, super excited to figure out how to let other people know how to not do this. How did you tell yourself not to read these fucking reviews? Because I knew that we were not making state-of-the-art beers. And I knew that the people that were writing those reviews were the folks that were the 1% of the beer world. Those 1% of the beer world are the people that are out there trying to earn whatever credit that they can in the beer community, right? Mm-hmm. And with that, it's it's a uh, I knew we weren't we weren't doing anything like that, and so why would I torture myself into the the fact that I I I knew I was mediocre in the sense of styles of beer. I wasn't if I created it, I guess we'll say like the chosen, you know, if that had been a you know a widely distributed beer or something like that, it would be something I would go back and go. You know, okay, well, uh, you know, I was pretty excited about that beer. I would be curious. You know, when we when we took the metal at the GABF, I didn't even know. I found out through... Which another, has only been, what, maybe 20 breweries in Texas that have? So that's that's a badge of honor. It was pretty cool. Yeah. The coolest thing was Guinness reaching out to us personally and congratulating us for winning their category. That's cool. And but, but did they congratulate you on a podcast? No. So they're not me. So, no, yeah. no, they're Keep right. that in mind. I know, man. I was like... <laughs> But it was, um, yeah, so it, it was something that uh, I didn't go after that because, I, like I said, I, you know, I found out that we won that, that, that medal through somebody else, another brewer that said, hey, congratulations, you know, you guys, just, and I was like, congratulations for what? <laughs> I didn't even know. It, yeah, it was uh, ne- never been to GABF, never been, couldn't give two shits. I've been once, it was actually fun, but it was like. Oh nine or oh eight, it was a blast. I'm sure, it but was. we just got drunk. I had... <laughs> That's what every you know everybody says. It's just a big drunk fest. So. But it was there was less people. I don't like people, so that was fun for me. But anyways, yeah, right. yeah. So I think it's awesome that you were able to kind of dodge that because I don't think there's a lot of important information online. But conversely, I do think we can be entertained by the information that's online. Oh, so I was hoping maybe that you weren't. Too bored that you might be able to willing to read a couple of untapped check-ins for me? <laughs> sure, man. All right. So, I w- and I will preface this by saying that uh, Google and Yelp both had almost five-star reviews across the board for the brewery itself. And and I could be wrong. I don't think there was anything less than a three-star review, which might sound to you like, well, why would there be everyone? I had a brewery that had a like a one-star review that just said, I've never been here before. That's all it said. And so there's a lot of really stupid ass reviews, but these are untapped reviews. And to be honest, I think they're all kind of fun. So I, it would be fun if you would read them. Man, let me. Uh, hey, put on, put on your glasses, boy. Let me get my old eyeballs. Uh... <laughs> I love it. Jake Y is drinking a Cornerstone Cream Ale by Solid Rock Brewing. Found this dusty bottle in the pantry. Not bad. <laughs> Look at the date. <laughs> Fucking 19 August. What? 20. 2020. So I don't know how long. So. Cream ales are obviously not meant to age. <laughs> How old is that bottle, do you think? Fuck, man. I don't know. But it's old. Best case scenario, four years, three oh, years. Man, that's hilarious. Yeah. So, I, and I, and th- well, keep going. I have, I'll tell you in a minute. Uh, Eric W. is drinking a Big Drought Stout by Solid Rock Brewing at the Tavern on Maine. Love it. Glad they added the hops. What does that mean? Fuck if I Read the next it? one. This is even better. Okay, let's see. Jake B. is drinking a Big Drought Stout by Solid Rock at Liberty Commons at Big Rock Brewery. 
a little too bitter on the end aftertaste. Okay. Which, well, so, so here, let me, let me go out on a limb here. So that recipe is the same fucking recipe as any traditional dry Irish stout. So yeah. that's it. There's nothing else to it. We didn't go out to hop it up. That the low I, ABV the and IBUs like creamy. Are easy. low on it. It's a, it's a, it is something that we designed that beer to drink at six o'clock in the morning when we started brewing with a cigar and it was meant to drink all day long. Hence, a, you know, a four percenter mm-hmm. and it drank like a cup of coffee. That is how I compare it. But that's how I compare Guinness. But maybe this person doesn't particularly like Guinness. I don't know. But it's, you know, that's like kind of the difference between like somebody drinking a Murphy's and somebody drinking a Guinness. Some, you know, some people like Murphy's because of the aftertaste and some people like a Guinness because of the aftertaste. I like them both. But yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to do you one better. (laughs) So, yeah, this is not as uh, clear cut as you think. So what you just read is two different reviews of the same beer, right? Yeah. Within a few months, if you look at the time. Yeah. Only here's the rub. 18, this, 2018. Do you know where the bar is on the second one? Uh-oh. That's because it's in Ontario, Canada. Liberty Commons at Big Rock Brewery? I don't think that's... No, I'm sorry. It's Toronto? How do you... I, the Canadians say it, Toronto or something like that. Like, I'm not saying it right, but it's in fucking Canada, which is not... You didn't have it on... It's part of a flight. And so this is one of the arguments I have, and have many with Untapped, but as the brewer or the owner or the marketing manager, when you're trying to decide what the feedback is on your beer... That dipfuck chapped in somebody else's beer in Canada, claiming it to be your beer, and didn't like it, and now your rating on Untapped is actually going down because <laughs> of whatever brewery in Canada made the beer they didn't like. They uh, Probably the same name, so it may be a trademark infringement that your IP attorney probably should get on that, except for the fact <laughs> you probably let him go. But yeah, no... Anyways, please continue. <laughs> That's hilarious. Colin K is drinking a roundhead red by Solid Rock Brewing. <laughs> Pearl. That's it. There's no constructive yeah. feedback. Yeah, hey, th- thanks for the constructive <laughs> feedback, fucking asshat. Uh, it's like, yeah, in 2017. So, yeah, that beer hadn't been made. And what is that beer? I guess that beer probably hadn't been. It was probably. Where are these people finding these fucking beers at? Oh, it could be anywhere, though. If you think about it, I've had that problem when I tried to recall stuff. And I talked, there was a podcaster who might be on the show for the second season who he had gone through Austin and he had picked up beers of ours um, after I had told him that we had made major improvements. And I was, I was, tr- it was true uh, that we had, but what he was finding when he went to the place was stuff that was two years old. I'm like, well, that's not what I meant to go buck and fucking buy. Yeah. But it's still my fault. I should never sent that original beer out anyway. So anyways, long story short, I have no idea, but they're not going to tell you either. That's hilarious, man. Jason M. is drinking a Roundhead Red by Solid Rock Brewing. A touch sour for me. You think it was? You think seven, right? 7 March of 2017. I think we had sold the brewery by 2016. So yeah. that beer probably had not. And then Josh, let's see, I think Josh was operating out of it for, what, a year maybe? Or maybe. something? Dude, man, I'd have to go back and look. Where the fuck are these people finding these beers at? I don't know, man. Are we in an antique shop? I mean, it's, you know, that that's hilarious. I that's, don't, but that's I don't my argument know. with on type, uh, uh, online beer reviews is we don't have any sort of, what would you call it, like, uh, I guess, standards, right? So, by yeah. which to, to describe it. So, one of my favorites that I was just going to read to you because I just want to say it out loud is there was a guy named Mel who was drinking the cream ale okay. in Bernie, which I happen to know. Oh, I'm sorry, Wimberley, in downtown Wimberley. 
And he gave it four stars. Like he actually liked it. Four out of five is a good rating. But he goes, not as creamy as I thought. The orange gives it a great flavor. So, so somebody's Mel might be insane. And I think that he might have escaped from the place that Jack Nicholson was locked up in when Nurse Ratchet was fucking stat- trapping his ass down at the place. <laughs> I don't know. What I do know is that the cream ale has no cream in it. And it also got me fucking orange in it. And that's all I know. And so if I'm reading that untapped review going, how might I improve my beer? And how might I take the feedback from the community to mean what it means? I don't know what I would do. Yeah. I think that I would ignore it and, and do what you did and not read it, yeah. which is hands down the solution to that particular problem. Yeah. If you get personally butthurt by the way people interpret your beer or talk about it or whatever, then you're in the wrong fucking business. You need to, you need to, you got to move on, right? I mean, that's the thing that, uh, the military gave me a very thick skin because when I showed up to the, my first submarine I was attached to, they, they, they called me a nub, all of us that were non-qualified on submarines, meaning we didn't wear our fish, (laughs) right? I had not earned my dolphins yet and nub stood for non-usable body and it was something that for as long as it takes you to earn your dolphins, which is six six months to a year, right? Hot runner might get it done in three. But you are basically worthless in everybody's eyes that's qualified. You you breathe their oxygen, you eat their food, you take up their space, you do <laughs> and they beat the fuck out of you with it every single moment that you're awake. And why are you not qualified yet? Right? Don't why are you reading a book that's not a fucking tech manual right you should not be reading a book you should not be listening to music but anyway that was it was a i got a pretty thick skin in the military and so i really didn't give a shit what people thought as long as i thought it was that it was okay yeah which is the point right yeah and 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 again we we didn't have the wow factor out there it was it was just basic beer and so yeah I, i i never came to the table expecting somebody to go, holy shit, man, you make the greatest fucking beer on the planet. You know, I, I expected somebody, you know, to say, yeah, hey, man, I like your beer. It's pretty good. You know, that's pretty, that's cool. You know, ain't my favorite, but it, it, it's the same thing, like I said earlier about Budweiser. Budweiser makes great fucking beer, man. They make great beer. It may not be everybody's cup of tea, but they make great beer. And well, more so, importantly, they make beer that isn't the point, right? So, and this is one thing I think that you guys had, in my opinion, you guys had uh, kind of like tipped into was that Budweiser does not make beer that you sit around and talk about the beer. Right. Budweiser makes beer that you sit around and talk about the girl you're talking to while you were drinking the beer. Yeah. Or whatever that is for you. And, and obviously that is moderately sexist. So let me take that out maybe in the editing or, or maybe not. But the point being that um, sometimes beer is the backdrop of your life, mm-hmm. not always the fucking foreground. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's- and you know what? And that you, you, No, you're absolutely right. And I think, to me, honestly, that is what made the, the reviews like you were talking about, about people coming out to the brewery, that's what made it real. Yeah, they love the experience. People, Every, across right. the board, they love the that's experience. Right. People would come out, and they would meet the owners of the brewery. And actually, could, I should have clarified. Um, I would – and I, I didn't do the math. I apologize. But at least four out of ten of those were about the owners. And oh, the experience okay. they had with the owners. Yeah. So it wasn't just we love solid rock. It was like the owners are fucking badass. Yeah. And and, and as a as a brewery owner, and this is my again my personal opinion, you need to be there. You're the face of the brewery. 
don't make somebody else the face of the brewery. You're the face of the brewery. And and that's the experience. That's what's going to get keep people to keep buying your product. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, okay, you may, like I said, you may hit one out of the park with, you know, electric jellyfish where it doesn't really matter. Everybody's buying it because everybody's talking about it. And it's a fucking great beer. For the most part, people come out, they meet you. They get to know you because you spend some time. You act like you you have some interest in what they think or who they are and stuff like that. You put on a good dog and pony show, right? You know, we would let people – I don't know if I should say – That's uh, probably my problem. I think I only put on a pony show, and that might have been what I did Missing wrong. the dog? Yeah. The, fuck. I would let people – I would hook up – I would hook up a hose to the, of the fermenters, and I would fill people's glasses directly out of the fucking fermenter. They love and, that show. Oh, man. And people and we that love shit. that shit, and, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because that's man. what we're that's, into. That's the show. That yeah. is the dog and pony show. And that's what people are going to keep coming back to your product if it's good. It doesn't have to be great. If it's good, they're going to keep coming back because they know you. And they're going to support you because they like you. Or they like you, what you represent. Or they like something. You've, trig- you've, hit, a, you've hit a trigger point somewhere within them. Right, that they keep coming back to you. You that's why you have regulars. That's why they and, and they'll sit there and talk about you like they are an owner in the brewery. So that was when we all kind of and correct me if I'm wrong, but when we all kind of thought about owning a brewery, I think that we didn't necessarily go down the rabbit hole of what our comp- competitive advantage was. But that's one of the things that needs to be in a business plan. And I think if we're competing with Budweiser, that's what we think our competitive advantage is. It is. We are, we're going to be there one-on-one and Budweiser is like, well, we don't have that. So we're going to spend $4 billion on marketing. That's right. And they clearly are winning. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I, I don't mean they're wrong. I just mean that uh, that's all we've got. So <laughs> I would have, I would have loved to have had like the marketing budget that they had for like one hour of a day. <laughs> Man, no shit. (laughs) If I had that for like my my whole year, for my whole year, actually for for the entire life of the brewery, what they spend in one day would be amazing. Yeah, I could have I could have done a whole lot more. But uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I love those reviews. That's fucking hilarious. Oh, it's been one of my favorite parts of the podcast, and I'm not letting those got not go anytime soon. Yeah. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get a quick fill up, and then I have two questions for you, and uh, we'll go from there. All right, all right, Kurt. I appreciate you sticking with us. Yep, through, my pleasure. Through all of it, and you know what? It sounds like there's a few follow up questions that I'm gonna have for you, and I appreciate you've already told me that you're willing to do that. Yep, and, absolutely. Uh, thank you. So, but let's let's end this with some obvious ones. So. Okay. At the end of the day, who do you think is at fault? Like, why did it fail? Like, it's my wife's fault. No, I'm just kidding. She's standing right behind me. I'm waiting to get hit in the back of the head. No, actually, it, I, it, I wish you wouldn't say that again because I'm pretty sure that both of us are going to get killed. No, so. it, was, it was my fault. I blame myself. I've blamed myself from the be- from the beginning of its of, of its downfall. And un- like the captain should always go down with the ship and I can't speak for my partners, but I can speak for myself and I will, it was my fault. I was not, I was not strong enough to make the changes that probably should have been made when they needed to be made. And that goes back to the ownership percentages and things like that. I, that's what I think. 
Uh, that's my opinion. I, I blame myself. I, I, I and but that's that's just me. Well, I appreciate that perspective, but I have a feeling there's way more to that story. So I'm looking forward to uh, delving into that in the future. And then, so the final question I'm going to ask you is, and I've asked this of many of my guests, how, so how has your job in this industry affected your relationship to alcohol? And I'm going to preface it by saying that I've taken the last few months completely off um, and only recently have added alcohol back. And I think if I had to distill it down, a big part of that is the fact that it's not, it's not beer's fault, uh, but I blame beer a little bit for some of the struggles that I've had in my personal life. And because of my career being in beer, and a lot of people that I've talked to have, have had a similar experience where it's just been, we've had tap takeover after tap, tap takeover, and we get home late on a Tuesday night, and this is not fair to our family. And, and But anyways, I'm, I'm not trying to tell your story, I'm telling mine. So in your perspective, like, how, how did owning Solid Rock affect your relationship to alcohol? I, I ended up drinking way more than I should have. I probably made a fool of myself more than I can count on on my hands and my toes at probably other people's breweries, and I apologize for that if I did anything to anybody. It wasn't mine. So, <laughs> if I did something out to anybody's brewery, I, I, I hope that if I did, I and I don't realize it because I was a fucking drunk uh, at the time. I would I, I would like to extend my sincerest apologies it was it affected my personal life tremendously i did a lot of i did a lot more drinking than i should have i drank early i drank late i drank all day i like i said before i love beer i use that term very sparingly but i i love beer and i've i've very rarely have I ever met a beer that I did not like, meaning that I would not drink it all the way through. There's been a couple, but not not very many. Well, that and, may be uh, a question for the second it is. <laughs> but I will, uh, yeah, it's. I will tell you that if it, probably the idea of starting a brewery for me personally, with my background in the military, with as much as I drank, was not a good idea. I can it, see that. It, it, it wasn't. It was, it was, it was, it was probably not a good idea. I thought I could control it, but it controlled me. Well, one of the problems I had early on, and again, like just, this is, this is a topic for next time, but I would do ride-alongs early on. This is maybe a year after being open and we would celebratorily take a shot of tequila after every keg sale, which meant we had a good day. Uh, and, and in my defense, that wasn't my idea, but it was absolutely something I agreed was a good idea. Oh, so no, I'm, I'm with you. I yeah. think it was a great idea too, but, right. but that's, that's the alcoholic in me. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> I like tequila. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I honestly cannot tell you how much I appreciate the taking the time today. Hey guys, thanks for sticking around. Uh, like I said, Kurt has agreed to do a follow-up episode, and so we are going to record that with questions from you guys. And if you would, uh, there's a few ways you can send them. Many of you will probably have gotten an email from me, and, uh, and that email you can reply to. My email address is uh, freeplaykelly at gmail.com. Uh, for a little while, you can still send it to kellym at mbbrewing.com, but eventually I'm going to kill that one. And uh, you can just do the social media messages as well. So it's Twitter is brewery. Facebook is Damn Brewery, and I believe that uh, Instagram is How Not to Start a Damn Brewery because some guy has the damn brewery that's not using it, and I can't seem to get him to get it up. So that's how you can get ahead of me there. 
Um, hell, give me a phone call if you want, if you got my number. And I uh, look forward to hearing your questions in that follow-up episode. All right. Hey, guys. I want to thank you for sticking around. I appreciate you spending time with my guests tonight today. A couple of housekeeping things. I want to remind you that my book is available on Amazon, both on Kindle and in the paperback. And you'll see probably about another month there'll be an audiobook. So if you don't like to read and for some reason you're burdened with loving to listen to my voice, you will get more of that um, in that audiobook. But again, thanks for sticking around and I look forward to the next podcast. Uh, peace out. See you soon. Free play. Media. Media.